Amen. Amen. I would like to thank all of you who have been praying for us. And because definitely a week ago, we were not in the best shape. And I know I said to Dan on Monday, do you think? He said, we'll keep praying. So, so and people have been praying. And we, Kath and I, are both doing a lot better, thankfully. But I do cough from time to time. So that's just part of it. We're going to follow along in 1 Timothy, where Dan left off last week. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So last week, Dan spoke about the qualifications of overseers and deacons. And tonight, tonight, yes, today, we're going to begin at verse 6, verse 14, and read until chapter 4, verse 8. Although I hope to come to you soon, this is Paul writing to Timothy, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up to glory. The spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Well, what do we have here? Well, we have a piece of old Christian hymn. We have a prophecy about some strange teaching. And we have something about training. At first, you know, we may wonder, what is there here for me? What is there here for you this morning? And isn't that oftentimes the challenge when we come to the scriptures? We wonder, what's, it, what's here for me? After all the scriptures were written thousands of years ago, to people in a different culture, in a different language, and who had a different way of life. 
And sometimes that gulf between us and them is small. We can just step over, as we do many times in stories of the gospel and even in letters in the New Testament. But sometimes the gulf is huge and there's quite a lot of differences. As someone has well said, the Bible wasn't written to us. It was written for us. The Bible wasn't written to us. In these particular words were written to Timothy. They weren't written to us. But yet they're written for us. And as a result, there's something in the different parts of scriptures, even those for the, the chasm, there seems to be a great divide from then and us. And so, even though we have an ancient hymn and some strange teaching and some things about training, there's something here for us today. And I see as I've read this over and over and over, there's a word that appears in this section three times. It's the word godliness. Now, I don't know about you, but godliness is not a term I hear much around, but the only thing I think of is cleanliness is next to godliness. I don't know where that came from, and, but it doesn't mean much to me. And when you look at the definition of, of, of godliness, it simply says the quality of being devoutly religious, piety. But more particular, godliness speaks of our reverence for God and the life that we live in response to who God is. It's our personal attitude toward God that results in actions that are pleasing to him. So as we know who God is, we respond in, with a life of godliness, a life of pleasing to him. Godliness is all-encompassing. It's not something you are one day and not the next. It's not something you are in one place and not in the next. It's a life of devotion. Now, in our passage this morning, we want to see why godliness matters. What's the source of godliness? What does false godliness look like? And then train ourselves in godliness. Why does godliness matter? Well, Paul tells Timothy, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. In every household, no doubt in your own, there are things you, that which are acceptable and some things which are unacceptable. Maybe it's you not to eat with your talk with your mouth full. Maybe you always have to eat at the table. So each of our households here have different rules that make uh, acceptable and unacceptable. 
And it's no different, Paul says, with God. In God's household, though, we're not talking about a regular household. We are talking about the church or assembly of the living God. You may recall that in Ephesus, there was the goddess of Diana, or Artemis, sometimes called. And people had all kinds of ritual and devotion and things they did for Artemis because she was their god. But all she was was a piece of rock, a vain idol. There was no life in her at all. But Paul says we conduct our lives in godliness because our God is alive. And we, his people, are the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, in ancient times, the rulers would sometimes put their rules, their edicts, up on a pillar so that people would know what they are. But God has put us, his people, on a pillar to expose himself to the world. Like a pillar, we hold up and display before both humans and the angels the truth of who God is, what he is like. We here are the revelation of God. We're here this morning as the revelation of God as we've gathered, but we'll be just as much the revelation of God as we scatter from this place and go to eat, where to our homes or to a restaurant, where we go to work, where we go to school, where we, whatever we do when we engage in society, we are the revelation of God. In every arena of life, you and I are God on display. Godness, a life lived pleasing to God, matters because through godliness, we reveal God to the world around us. We show others what our God is like. Godliness matters. Now, Paul says, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness is, springs is great. True godliness actually is not a mystery at all. It was at one time. But the mystery was revealed in Jesus himself. Jesus is now God's open secret. And he is the basis of our godliness. And here we have God, here we have Paul recording for us a part of our early Christian hymn. It's just a piece. And if we were to read it in Greek, we'd actually see that there is some rhythm to it. So it doesn't look much here, but it is an ancient, ancient Christian hymn. And in this ancient Christian hymn, we receive some foundational truths about Jesus. We're told he appeared in the flesh. The eternal God became man. 
And this is crucial. God came as a human that he might take upon himself our sin, even though he knew no sin himself. He had to come in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The Spirit proved what Jesus said was true in his miracles, in his words, and in, it says, if Peter says, Jesus was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. The Spirit proved that sin could not hold Jesus down. He was seen by the angels, and we're not sure what this refers to, but it may refer to, as we see in Ephesians 6, the unseen principalities and powers, and of Jesus, how when he came, left the cross, how he triumphed over the powers of evil. He was preached among the nations. This gospel was not just for the Jews. Jesus was a Messiah for all peoples. And he was believed on, this hymn says, the message was proclaimed and believed. And then he was taken up into glory. He has ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. We have here kind of what we might say a mini creed, and some of you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed, and, and it's a restatement of who God is. And these statements, though we don't often always use them, are good to go back to from time to time because they remind us the basis of a godliness. The basis, basis of our godliness is good theology. Now, sometimes in the church, there's these ups and downs. Sometimes we focus a lot on theology. Sometimes we focus a lot on mission. And sometimes we think all we need to do is just love God and love people, and we'll be all right. And that's good. And mission is definitely good too. But it's theology, who God is, that really is the foundation behind how we go about mission. It's the foundation about how we love God and how we love people. If we don't have right theology, we're not going to have right practice in our lives. And sometimes we see groups who stray from right theology. And after a while, it affects their conduct on how they live. So we always want to go back to what is right theology. The truths about Christ are what our faith rests on. And we need to keep affirming and reaffirming them over and over. Now, Paul goes on, though, to talk about some challenges to theology. And here we have kind of this prophecy about what's going to happen, about this strange teaching that's going to arise. And he warns Timothy, in the time to come, Maybe not in his own day, but in, in coming times, there will be 
people, he says, who will abandon the content of the faith and begin to teach lies. And they, we can tell that all the stuff is lies, lies, lies. It comes from deceiving spirits, demons, and hypocritical lies. Lies are marked all on this. These teachers will point to another way to godliness, living by a list of do's and don'ts. Avoid things. Treat the body harshly, harshly to bring it under control. And here, two things are mentioned. Don't marry and don't eat certain foods. Now, this does not seem to be too big an issue for most people, Christians today, I don't think, in the West. I haven't seen too many people saying, well, not marry or, or don't eat this, don't eat that. So what's, what's this about here? Why are we looking at this? Well, there's actually something here that does affect us. Paul is speaking here of a, a, a teaching that would try to infiltrate the church later on called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism isn't necessarily wasn't just one group. There's a number of groups in them, so not every Gnostic believed the same thing for sure. But in general, the Gnostics had a dualism. They saw things kind of two sides. They had two gods. There was, there was God the Father, but he was way off. And then there was this God called Demiurge, who was actually evil, and he created the world. And because he was evil and inferior, the material world he created is also evil and inferior. And really, the goal of salvation is to escape from this materialism of this world, from this evil in this world. And the thing that really matters is our immortal spirits, because someday they'll be saved and released to return to the Father's spiritual realm. In Gnosticism, salvation is by knowledge, by knowing God. And they believed in Jesus, all right. However, because they believed the material universe is evil, some only believed that Jesus appeared in human form. He appeared in human form. It, it's like he was, he's there, but he wasn't really there. Another group kind of said, well, he kind of came at baptism and then took off after the crucifixion because the God, the Jesus, cannot really engage in physical. And this counters Christianity. Remember earlier, Paul said in that hymn, he came in the flesh. As Christians, we hold that Jesus was fully man and fully God. He just didn't become God as baptism, as some would think. He just wasn't God the whole time and just kind of just living in a body. The scriptures speak of Jesus as being the God-man. Because this was 
both, this was necessary that he might provide this, this, that he might provide the sacrifice for our sins. He had to become a man, take on our flesh, take on us the sins of us, and die. Oops. I go with my water. <laughs> so. so some these Gnostics, because they believed the body was bad, they kind of took a t- one or two approaches to it. Some said you should mistreat your bodies. So just kind of really treat your body harshly. You know, don't, you know, don't eat all this stuff. And we call them ascetics. Just kind of, and in the early church, we saw there were some groups at times, like, they'd, they'd post themselves up on some tower or they'd lean against some rock and they just embraced pain because they just wanted, the flesh was seen as so bad and they just wanted to keep it under control. Others, though, of these Gnostics actually went to indulgence because they said, well, the body doesn't matter. We can do with it whatever we want. So why, does it, why am I even spend time on Gnostics this morning? Are they still around? Well, there is some around, and we've seen even this, there's been a recovery of a book called the, the Gospel of Judas. And some years ago, some of you would have heard of Dan Brown. And this stuff goes back to Gnosticism. But it also sometimes infiltrates even our thinking today as Christians. Because sometimes as Christians, we think the body is sinful and it's only the spirit that's perfect. But this is a very dualistic thinking. From the beginning, God said, this is good. Our bodies are good. They have been, yes, dealt a blow by sin. But it never changes the value of the physical. And indeed, Paul says, our salvation is not just a spiritual salvation. It's not being wished off to some heaven spiritual place. Eventually, it's a redemption of the body. And if we look at Revelation, it's a redempt creation is going to be redeemed as well. It's redemption of the whole order because God's creation is good. If we think of this world as evil and only heaven is good, we may not enjoy all God has set before us. As Paul says, these things have been created with good. Enjoy them. Use them. And on the other side, if we think the body is evil, we may think, well, nothing can be done in this life to our bodies. I mean, since this rampant, you know, might as just go along with it. So on the one hand, we have those who try to control the body. On the other hand, we have those who just give free reign to it. But both come from the same way of thinking. It's that the body, well, is evil. 
is not good. But the body is part of a real person. Though there is another part of us, a spiritual part, that in death is separated from the body, but we always look forth to the resurrection of the dead, says Paul, when our bodies and spirits will be made alive and redeemed. If we think that God only values the spiritual, we may think anything we do physical does not have much value. We may think our jobs tomorrow or today have no value. The real thing is Sunday morning. And the best profession you could be in is pastoring because that's real spiritual. But we see in Scripture that it's all good. That all of life is God's. God has given us this world to enjoy and take care of. In the creation mandate, God made us stewards and vice regents over all creation. And we've been called to rule this creation so that God's reputation is enhanced. We're not, we're to care for this creation and protect it, not exploiting it for our selfish pleasures. Instead of withdrawing from this world and its culture, we are called to embrace, engage the culture around us. The very spirits of society are ours to embrace. God calls us to develop the hidden potentials in agriculture, in the arts, in music, in politics. Yes, even politics. In business, in family life and all the other aspects of our world. God has placed us there not to flee from them, but to show forth his godliness, show forth who he is like, and display himself to the world. Godliness is not about avoidance. Though, it's for sure, if you read scripture, some things to avoid, so don't get me wrong there. But it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a life lived in devotion to God. Paul says we are to train ourselves to be godly, literally, literally, Train yourself for godliness. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Now, the word train here is gymnasial, word we get gymnasium from, and, and as you may know, the Greeks went to exercise and training 
And to be honest, I can't say I know too much about that. But. <laughs> and stand there boot training. Periodically over the years, I have run in the kilt run. It's been quite the test for me. But I knew enough to, that you had to do some training because I don't do, I don't run any kilometer, little alone eight kilometers, and so I knew I had to do some training. So being the smart Google person I am, I'd get search out the race is so many weeks from now, how do you prepare for that? So, so I gave you this list of three days a week, you're supposed to run this, and then you increase and you increase. So yeah, so I could, I should say I could follow that regimen. I didn't totally know. But, but I understood about training, and training takes effort. It takes self-discipline. It takes structure and practice and its rules. And if you want to train, now I train just to get through the race. <laughs> and that's what I did. But if you want to train to win the race, you're going to do a lot, a lot of things different than I do. And I know many of you, number of you here know a lot more about training than I do. But the idea of training isn't that something's just going to happen. It's just not going to fall into a lapse. And Paul says to Timothy here, train yourself in godliness. It's not just going to happen. Now this is kind of, it's kind of that two sides to the coin, you may say, because in Peter, he tells us that God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So Peter says we have everything to live a godly life. But Paul says, train yourself to be godly. Which is it? And it's often in scripture, it's that both and. We have the power within us right now to live that godly life. And Paul says to Titus later on, he says, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching them to say no to ungodliness. So to no to ungodliness, the spirit is, God teaches us to say yes to godliness. So that power is available to us. That's not the issue. But we need to put godliness into practice. How do we train ourselves to be godly? How do we train ourselves to live a life of devotion to God? Now, Paul doesn't go into, as, as so often we wish he would, he doesn't go into detail here. We do see elsewhere that he tells Timothy that the truth leads to godliness. So we know we can grow in godliness as we embrace the truth. And we grow in godliness as we embrace what in throughout the church is called spiritual disciplines. 
and obviously we can't talk about all those today, but spiritual disciplines, to me, I describe them like a landing strip. If you are in the wilderness and your plane needs to land, you need a landing strip. If there's no landing strip, well, you may be able to land it somewhere, but it's a lot easier with a landing strip. And the spiritual disciplines are kind of like a landing strip in our lives. God can certainly do stuff in our lives. You know, he's a good pilot. He can maybe come in here, you know, and, and do something. But if we provide a landing strip in our lives for him to work in an ongoing way, he can develop his work within us a lot easier. And the spiritual disciplines are like that. And they depend different, they go by, I mean, it's different lists for sure, but obviously reading and meditating on God's word. I know as teachers, that's like a broken record, isn't it? Get reading the scripture. But you know, if you just give 13 minutes a day, 13 minutes a day, read out loud, because you read to yourself, you'd be like me, you just go, <laughs> it'll take a lot longer. But if you read out loud in 13 minutes a day, you can be through this book in one year. 13 minutes. And maybe you don't have 13 minutes, maybe you have seven minutes, and you can be through it in two years. Maybe you only have three and a half minutes. You can be through it in four years. And I, I just throw those out because sometimes we think we don't have time to read the scriptures. Or it can be listening to them. We don't have to be hard and fast on reading. Listening's fine too. So, but we need the scriptures in us. And if you need help with a Bible plan, there's all kinds out there, and I can direct you to those. But the thing is, is to decide I'm going to read this book. I'm going to set aside a time, be it in the car, not if you're reading, but if you're listening. <laughs> can be at lunchtime, could be in the bathroom, could be at the kitchen table is to, as just as if you decide to train in a gym, you sign up for that membership, and you go there, and you do it. And sometimes that's all we gotta do with gets into the scriptures. We may not want to do it, but we just say, I've signed up, and I'm gonna read my 13 minutes today, and even if you don't get anything out of it, just keep reading it, and over time, things will change. We want to read the scriptures and meditate on them because it's through them that we gain the knowledge of the truth, of who God is and what he's done for us. Through the scripture, we can begin to recognize lies in our lives and those around us. But there certainly are other well, before I move on to that, take time not just to read, but to meditate and obey the scriptures. As James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. 
godliness grows in us as we take the scriptures, meditate on them, and say, Lord, how do I obey this in my life today? So my challenge to you is, is every time you read the scripture, be it two minutes, seven minutes, 13 minutes, an hour, never be satisfied just in the reading, but just ask God, what do you want me to do to obey here? Because obedience grows us in godliness. There are, of course, other spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, giving to the needy, meeting together to worship, but also meeting one-on-one so that we can be real with people, what we meet them with, so that they can point out the truth to us. And the list goes on. And if you do want a good book that talks about spiritual disciplines, it's been around for a long time. I know some of you have read it, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And he goes into depths. And there's many other good books out there as well. But we want to train ourselves in godliness. Training involves pushing ourselves, going beyond just doing nothing, going beyond just letting what happens, happens. Godliness does matter. Our godliness matters to our children. Our godliness matters to our workers. Our godliness matters to our neighbors. It matters to our nation. Godliness, its basis is in Jesus and what he has accomplished for us, not in the list of do's and don'ts. So let us train ourselves in a life that's appropriate for God. Let us live a life of devotion and discover what is it that helps us to grow in that life of devotion. I, can, I can't give you that whole list because it's what will help you grow in that life of devotion. But we do know, again, going back to the truth, the truth leads to godliness. So invest in the truth. Invest in your life of godliness because it holds, it holds value in all things. You know, exercise is good. I commend you who train. But godly exercise, training in godliness, is good in this life and in the life to come. So train yourself in godliness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words, kind of confusing words at times we see here and how they apply to our lives. But we do know you've called us to godliness, to this way, this life of devotion. And you're so worthy. You are so worthy. That you and we just present ourselves to you now, Father, we ask that you'd show us what are those practices
that we need to embrace more of or start that would help us grow in godliness. May you speak to us now. May you show us something we can begin doing today that we might grow in godliness. Amen.